0: I'm gonna level with you. When I first saw this as the next episode, I'm like, my first gut reaction was, oh, really? Really? This one? Okay, okay. Then I started watching it. This is another reason, I know I've already talked about this several times, but this is another reason I love going back through some works, uh, fictional works with analysis mode on, because it's weird how my opinion shifts around a bit. Because as I was going through this episode, I was was like, this isn't that bad. Like, this is kind of interesting. I'm with this, I'm with this, okay, I'm with this, I'm well, oh, 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 God, that's so terrible. And so certain parts of this episode were actually worse than I thought before, and then the rest of it was better than I thought before. But in order to talk about this episode, I have to talk about Herb Wright, Gene Roddenberry, and the Ferengi. Now, Roddenberry, of course, came up with the core impetus for the Ferengi and had ideas. Now... I do want to mention something, because there is only a single source alleging these facts. So, usually, especially when it comes to early TNG, if I see only one person saying something, I tend to treat that with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's more when I see multiple people giving the same story that I'm like, okay, I'm a little more inclined to believe it. And this will be relevant in a second. So, the idea that he, apparently, uh Apparently went with went to Roddenberry and was like, "All right." And Roddenberry's like, "Yes, yes, they're they're very well endowed." No, seriously, they got huge slongs. I, I need all the actors to have cod pieces to demonstrate this. And then, reportedly, he spent twenty minutes or so talking about the different sexual positions that the Ferengi could take before he's like, "Dude, this is a family show in the evenings on on broadcast television. We we can't do this." And Roddenberry's like, "Okay, fine." Now, that may sound weird, so I'm not 100% how true that is or how exaggerative it is. But if it was true, it wouldn't surprise me at all because, and I mean no offense by this, Roddenberry had, uh, Roddenberry liked sex just a little bit too much. And there's a lot of corroborating evidence about that one. Never mind how much he slept around. Let's just ignore that. Uh, There's a lot of things he did in Star Trek specifically to bring in the sexy. We'll probably get a little bit more into that later. Um, especially that will be relevant as weird as this sounds when it comes to Deep Space Nine. I know that sounds weird because Roddenberry wasn't even alive when Deep Space Nine came out, but it it'll connect. But all of this is still grain of salt territory. What is not grain-of-salt territory is how the Ferengi were actually portrayed on screen, which multiple accounts agree with the general directing that was being given. And I quote, crazed gerbils. There's a lot of corroborating accounts on this one. And it shows. But, I do want to say that there's two other weird things behind the scenes on this one. Uh, first of all, Armin Shimmerman, it's weird hearing his voice here, like, I'm, I'm just watching the episode, and I was in the middle of jotting something down in my notes, and then I hear Quark say something, and I'm like, and I literally just did that really quick, oh, right, right, because here he is, he's not the first Ferengi we ever see, but he is one of the first, he'll actually place, uh, I think, three total other Ferengi after this, including Quark, and I'm sorry, but Armin Shimerman is the Ferengi in more ways than one. And that's pretty much universally thanks to Deep Space Nine. I will, however, be talking about that more, like, a few weeks ago from your perspective. (laughs) Because I haven't actually sat down to do the DS9 stuff yet, but obviously that came out a while ago. But I've already done some of the research work on that. And I do know Armin Shimmerman more or less literally felt guilty for the portrayal of the Ferengi and wanted to fix the Ferengi and I think that really helped with his portrayal of Quark over on DS9. But we'll talk more about that in DS9 where it's more relevant. I also want to talk about Mizlish because he just keeps freaking coming up no matter what I do. Again, even before, uh, Chaos on the Bridge came out, there's been reports about this man and his horrifically disgusting slime ball activities. And one of the things that was being mentioned was that on this episode, he was trying to do uncredited and illegal rewrites of the episode, which, if they had actually gotten through and gotten caught, would have cost some serious fines to the studio, and other issues that would have been related to that. He was caught in the act in this particular case, and then that was shut down, and he was told, don't do this anymore. He would end up doing this more. And also, these are only the times he was caught doing it. But I'm getting a little bit off track. Let's talk about the frickin' Ferengi. Now, as I pointed out, they were actually mentioned in Encounter at Farpoint uh, three times, I think it was. And this is something that was planned from the get-go, from the inception of TNG. They sat down thinking, you know, we're friends. We're friends with the Klingons. The Romulans, we're not really doing anything with yet. From what, from what I can understand, they had no plans for the Romulans in the TNG era. So, Klingons are our friends. I mean, we got a Klingon on the bridge and everything. Romulans are over there. We need a new bad guy race. We need villains that we can use as the great foils to the Federation. And these will be the great enemies of the Federation to crush and kill. And it's the Ferengi. Um, <clears throat> it's the Ferengi. It's so difficult. And I can't be the only person. It's so difficult to go back to this episode, to the beginning of the Ferengi, and try to divorce myself from the next ten years, or however long it was. I guess it'd be closer to, like, sixteen. No, that's too too much. Whatever. The next several years of Ferengi. You know, I have to just completely... uh, Okay. Pull myself out of all that knowledge of the future, pull myself out of all of that information, and just try to look at the Ferengi as they were initially presented. It's still not a good picture, but I'll talk more about that later. But what I find amusing about this is this is the kind of thing that should have been obvious it wasn't going to work from the word go. Forgive me, but what they wanted was a new villain race, and the original intent behind the Klingons, and the Romulans to an extent, was a Cold War allegory. Okay, so, Roddenberry and... By all accounts, Herb Wright, who apparently actually had a lot to do with the creation of the Ferengi, far more so than most people uh, have have alleged, although some people disagree with that, so whatever. But either way, both men were involved. Um, they sit down and like, why don't we make a villain about the greatest evil of the latest 80s, Leonard Meiselish? Now, I'm, I sound like I'm kidding, but uh, they wanted to go after corporate greed and the 80s the 70s and the 80s both were eras rather well known for corporate greed like i mean I, I hate to to sound like this but we we talk about how bad corporations are nowadays and they are but they're nothing compared to how bad they were before the bubble burst so to speak and the corporations had to start pulling it pulling the reins back you know they're not the 70s and 80s didn't involve corporations who were at the level of the railroad barons but they were more in that direction than what we've got going on nowadays. To, for, to put it simply, for those of you not aware, who haven't studied it, or wasn't alive at the time, it was bad. It was bad. Okay, and it was so bad that it there was a lot of just just lives being destroyed and rampant commercialism. And horrific practices and business practices that would eventually drag the government into it in order to try and rein all this crap in. Some successful, some not, you know. I'm not saying we live in a perfect society now, but I am trying to emphasize that that was the big villain. Okay, that could work. That is definitively a major evil thing. In fact, fiction in general shows that evil corporate guy kind of became one of the standard go-to villains for quite a while, especially in movies, and especially in the late 80s and the early 90s. Although that's still a thing to this day. I mean, there's a reason Wayland yutani is so synonymous with stupid corporate evil, right? So, this thing makes sense. All right. Now we need these villains to have a big ship and better weapons and to be a military match for us. Okay, hold up. Stop, stop. You've already derailed. Like, you're you're two steps into creating your new species, and you've already failed. And I'm just saying this bluntly. One of the few things I think I actually have some degree of uh, expertise at, experience at, is world building. And when you're crafting a culture you need to craft it in a way that emphasizes or adapts it to itself so that not only does it make sense, which is very important, but so that it serves the literary purpose you want it to. You want the Ferengi to be bad guys. Okay, but you don't just want them to be bad guys. You want them to be the bad guys, the recurring villains. Fun fact, a lot of future episodes would have the word Ferengi written out of the script and replaced with the word Romulan. So, yeah, basically the reason the Romulans became the TNG thing is thanks to the Ferengi. Thanks, guys. So, (laughs) I'm serious. You want these big evil corporate people. Okay. Why then not make the Ferengi into the kind of race that is more Machiavellian? You know, they've got tons of resources and they have access to rare uh, technology or rare, uh rare resources, things that can't be replicated, you know, that kind of idea, that is a concept in Star Trek, although it hasn't been introduced yet. So why not have them have this effectively a monopoly on certain aspects of trade, including things that are very important or very relevant to, you know, certain types of technology, you know, maybe uh, deuterium would of course be a terrible idea, but you know, something along the lines of how Voyager tried to use deuterium for so long. You know, the Ferengi have the monopoly on made-upium, and that's what is used in order to try and cool the warp cores of federation ships. You know, something like that. And so these, this group of people, the Ferengi Alliance, <clears throat> have such an economic stranglehold on this, and then use that as your launch point, right? Okay? Don't give him a big ship with a bunch of guns. I mean, when was the last time, forgive me, that you saw evil corporate businessman as a, as a villain type get in a giant mecca and shoot things up? Now, of course, that probably is a thing somewhere. But my point is that's not how that works, right? Instead, he hires people to do that for him. Why not have, you know, oh, we must stop this Ferengi. That's not a Ferengi ship. That's a such-and-such ship. And then another ship shows up. And then another ship shows up. And like, yeah, we have been hired to... Reprocure this particular probe from our system don't worry we have all the forms to make this nice and legal you know that kind of a thing that slime ball thing type 3 villainy you know so then the second step with the ferengi so the first step is already kind of a misstep like ugh. the second step is a face plant because the second step is the ferengi are a mystery You could see how this is, I shouldn't even have to explain this. I think anybody with a functioning brain can look at, you know, evil corporate greed, you know, Yankee, it's literally in the episode compared to Yankee traders from the 1800s. Okay. Now, quick history lesson. Yankee traders in the 1800s and 1900s walked up to people's doorstep and said, trade with us. That's a thing that happened many times to many cultures. And yeah, they caused some real damage. And they were horrible people. I'm not trying to to whitewash anything. But that's not the Ferengi, because the Ferengi are a mystery. We've never seen them before. We have only distant rumors and speculators and philosophers who might have an idea of how exactly the Ferengi function. Maybe. This is first contact, first known contact, with the Ferengi. This episode. That's not how Yankee traders work. That's not how evil corporate businessmen work. It is, in fact, very not conductive to trading, (laughs) you know? Now, they could have possibly salvaged that idea by saying they constantly work through proxy agents. And thus, we meet this race in this episode, and it's like, oh my god, it's you, we finally met the Ferengi. No, we're not Ferengi. Huh? Yeah, we were just hired by the Ferengi. And thus, you could actually have that kind of mystery element and have them constantly work through proxies, although you'd have to explain why they work through proxies, and that would take some behind-the-scenes world-building, and still kind of goes against the core element, the core principle of what these guys are supposed to be. Nevertheless, that could have worked, but they didn't do that either. These are the Ferengi, they're just... whatever. I hate to talk about non-canon stuff, although I have a feeling Star Trek Online will come into these discussions bit by bit as we go through. But <clears throat> there's a... I think it's a book, actually. God, I don't even remember anymore. Uh, where they talk about a possible explanation for the complete discontinuity of what's going on with the Ferengi. Because, remember, we see we have this episode and then we have the battle, I believe, is the next one. And then from everything there out, the Ferengi are... The Ferengi. Everyone threw their hands up and repurposed them into the joke race. And then DS9 tried to turn them into something a little more real, because that's kind of what DS9 did. A very world-building show. So, that means, from an in-lore perspective, from an in-character perspective, the Ferengi have always been the Ferengi. And they're they so well-entrenched in so many places that they've been doing this for a while before Last Outpost, chronologically speaking. The only way that they managed to make this make sense, and again, this isn't actually canon, was the idea that Vec, or Zek, excuse me, Grand Nagus Zek uh, learned about humanity and literally thought they were insane, which is kind of in keeping with what they say in this episode, and so did this massive campaign of of, you know, misdirection and obfuscation to try and build up the Ferengi Alliance as this big, horrible threat, and constantly talking out lies and, and, and outright fabrications in order to try and keep the Federation off guard, while he did a massive military build-up in order to try and make sure the Alliance could deal with this clearly insane other interstellar power. Then when they actually met each other and started interacting for a while, I was like, oh, okay. And that it was all just kind of dropped at the wayside. And that was one of the other chips that led to Grand Nagazek kind of slowly sliding down the, the power t- totem. But I digress. If I could just be so bold. I believe it was Maurice Hurley who said this. Forgive me if I'm misquoting, the, or if I'm quoting the wrong person. But he made parallel to trying to do an episode about turning the housefly into a big villain. Because the Ferengi were just pests. And I have to agree... And it all comes down to presentation and execution. Because, as I think I just e- I demonstrated as I was talking, just literally off the top of my head, you know, we came up with the idea of maybe we could actually have done something with the Ferengi in two separate different ways. Neither of those ways were done. Instead, they're shrieking crazed gerbils running around literally doing this. Watch the episode. This, this is a thing that, that happens. Literally doing that, and, and screeching, and g- g- jeering, and being idiots. And there's nothing threatening about that. At all. I digress. Let's talk about the episode itself. So, first contact, we got this. I do want to say their approach to this first contact is interesting. See, uh, there's an episode in TOS called Errand of Mercy, I do believe a great episode. It's one of my favorites. It's the first time we were ever introduced to the Klingons. Now, looking back, that's a weird fact when you really think about it. Because, for those of you who don't remember, that was an episode where the Federation was on the verge of total war with the Klingons and then went to war with the Klingons, whom we were just being introduced to for the first time with this declaration of war. In other words, it's a in medias res kind of situation, starting in the middle of the story. The they imply through conversation and and through some exposition what that the Federation has uh, had contact with Kling- the Klingons for some time, and that there's already been proxy battles and there's already been you know in- increasing difficulties and an escalation of conflict until it reaches the point when the episode starts, where war is actually declared. That was actually an interesting and intriguing way to introduce a new race. That whole implication, yeah, we've. We've always known about the Klingons. And, of course, as we know, thanks to the backstory, they've known about the Klingons going all the way back to the Enterprise era, right? And then, of course, there was the Great War they had with the Klingons, which was, I believe, in between Enterprise and Original Series, although I don't know my timeline that well. So it's an interesting way to do that. This is pretty much the opposite, but I don't mean that as an insult. I think I've already explained why I feel they failed with the Ferengi. But the idea of approaching it this way intrigues me. So rather than yeah, there's a Ferengi ship, and implying through dialogue all this backstory they've already had with them, we, the viewer, are getting our first look at the Ferengi as the characters, in character, are getting their first look at the Ferengi. Which, among other things, makes it a lot easier to do exposition, but also makes them more mysterious and more of a threat. And, God help me, there were actually times in this episode where I felt legitimate tension. Where there was actually some good drama going on. Again, when I started the episode, I had to, that big divide between me and all my knowledge of the Ferengi in the future. But once I did that, you know, I just replaced the name of Ferengi with the name the Vagarians. You know, I just made that up off the top of my head. I don't know if that's a thing. So we, there's a Vagarian ship and oh God, this is happening. And now our power is being drained and they're getting closer. What do we, what do we do? And it's like, wow, there's actually some real potential here. <laughs> Um, that being said, I remember even as a kid I noticed something, and that's the fact that the ship shoots out of its engines, except the shot comes from away from the ship, now in hindsight we can tell that was being done deliberately, but I, I remember they used to bug the crap out of me as a kid, uh, especially since I actually had a Decora model and you know, it's out, and we can tell even in this episode where the actual front of the Marauder is, but yeah, I digress so, here's a weird question why don't they scan the crap out of the decora? pretty much when they first can? Oh, don't give me that they can't scan them from range thing. While they're chasing them at warp, their scanners still work quite well. Again, this has already been established. They already know how to detect things like this, even at warp. Why don't they... I mean, are they just trying to be diplomatic? I've always wondered about that. Like, is this just them being like, hang on, don't scan too much, first contact scenario kind of thing? Maybe? But considering they're already being approached as a threat and became threatening in short order, I would think scanning would be on the okay list. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. So I wrote down a timestamp here. Uh the Ferengi work as villains right up until 6 minutes and 54 seconds into the episode, and that's the moment where Data starts describing them, saying that they are Yankee traitors, and again, flat out uses that statement. That immediately sucks a lot of the potential threat from them out of the atmosphere, for me. And I'm like, ugh, okay. <laughs> the illusion was nice for a bit, but now it's kind of shattered. But I do want to mention this now, that I I kind of let myself forget about the Yankee Traders line, and there's a few lines and a few scenes that kind of work to help re-establish them as a threat, up to and including when we finally uh, have the first viewscreen encounter. Truthfully stated, being 100% fair, or at least as fair as I'm capable of being, I would say the Ferengi were actually decently effective right up until they go down to the planet. and That's the moment where it kind of went, oh, jeez. So Picard, Picard snaps at Data, which is just a little bit weird and kind of out of character. And there's a lot of weird directing going on in this episode, by the way. A lot of very strange shots. Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is actually later on in the episode, where you see Riker, standing proud and tall, and you see like the heads of the Ferengi just coming into frame right in front of him, and it's a very strange choice. Uh, from a director's perspective it just weird th- shots all of this again if I was lore running it you know I can show you what I'm talking about but just trust me or watch the episode please. as ever I encourage people to watch the episodes with me and just be like what so Jordy goes to engineering hang on hang on hang on so in Counter at Farpoint Jordy was in the con and in the Naked Now Jordy was at the con and in uh, Code of Honor Jordy was at the con so we've pretty well established he's the pilot, right? Why is Jordy being the one? Is the one that's being sent to engineering? Now I have actually done some digging onto this, and sadly I couldn't find any concrete information on why this shift happened. Obviously, we know that Jordy will eventually become chief engineer. I have a suspicion that this, and I think there's another episode uh, before we hit season two where Jordy. Does some good work from an engineering perspective. It does a good job as a tech guy. And the, and the creators said, okay, and kind of ran with that. But it is really strange here in context where they send the pilot down to the engineering room and the, and the pilot starts not only talking through the engineering things as if he's chief engineer, but successfully manages to, to, you know, come across the solution as if he's chief engineer. And then gives orders to people who, if I'm not mistaken, are higher rank than him, who are actually engineers. It's just weird the way that kind of lines up that way. It's, it's like someone was like, came back from the future and was like, you get, you gotta, you gotta change LeVar's role. You gotta change him. It's like, why? Why? was like, you don't understand. He needs to be the chief engineer. He's an awesome chief engineer and he needs to be the chief engineer. Make it happen. And then, oh God, I'm going back to the future. And then, you know, we, we we get this just thrown into the episode. I don't know. Or it's just strange the way they do it. Also, I, I've always found it weird that the ship can eat, can successfully communicate with the Ferengi ship when their own internal communicators aren't working. And as we see later, the personal communicators for the away team aren't working either. Yet for some reason, you can go ahead and... I don't know. So then at about 17 minutes in, Picard gives this long sort of meandering, vaguely worded surrender to the Ferengi. So the Ferengi take that as interpretation that they are to surrender. Okay. That's kind of dumb, but I'm willing to forgive it because they do some really good material with it. My favorite scenes in the whole episode are when Picard and Damon, uh, I forget his name, the actual first Ferengi we ever see on camera, uh, start talking on the Bridge of the Enterprise. You know, I, we demand visual communication, as is in concordant with our rules, and blah, blah, blah. And, and he even does things where he cuts the, the audio, says, okay, blah, 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 and then brings the audio back in, in mid-sentence. He picks up on stuff very quickly, and he comes up with a strategy almost immediately. And it's actually quite brilliant, the whole way the whole thing works. And I'm like, ah oh, yes, this is great. Maybe it's just because the rest of the episode isn't exactly fantastic, but this scene really shined for me. And it was a great uh, scene for Stuart to show off his chops as the tactician that Patrick, uh, excuse me, that, that Jean-Luc Picard would actually be known to be. So, uh... <laughs> now we got to talk about something else. I'm, I'm sorry, I really hate to keep bashing the Ferengi execution, but it's terrible. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to try and just hold back on this one. It's the whole point of this whole rumination thing. As I sit here, I'm honest with you, and I say, hey, as if you were someone who's actually sitting there. And I would actually bring this up if you're actually sitting across from me. So we've got the bad execution from the fact that they've got the mysterious thing, and we've got the bad execution from the fact that they're a joke. We've already talked about that. Remove the Ferengi from the equation for a second. You're writing a new show, a new work of fiction, okay? Maybe it's just something you're writing for fun. Maybe it's a fan fiction. Maybe it's for a show or a game or a movie or a book or a short story, okay? You're introducing a brand new villainous force, be it an organization or a religion or a uh, culture or a, a people, you know, a race, an empire, whatever, okay? You're introducing a new bad guy group to your, to your fiction. Now, as I mentioned before, the way they approached this from an abstract over an errand of mercy was begin with us going into the regrettable case of being at war with them. And no emphasis on the regrettable. Kirk at the beginning flat out says, you know, this is not what I wanted. And that was part of the dramatic irony of that piece was that by the end of the episode, Kirk really wanted the war. And that shift was part of his character arc in that episode. It's a great episode. You should watch it. It's a really good one. Um, I hate to keep praising TOS, but whatever, right? Point being though, that's how you approach it. We have, you, you start off their introduction with, we are now regrettably at war with the enemy and now we have to deal with that. Okay. That works. Um, how about we have encountered a complete unknown and we know so little about them that every time we try to do something, the only reason we succeed is because they let us. That's how they do the Borg later on. You know, there, there's ways to introduce villains or a villainous group, a bad guy, to your story, right? Now, usually, from a literary perspective, from a creative writing perspective, if your introduction for the first time on camera ever to a new villainous group, is an enemy mind situation, then what you're usually going for is that they're not actually the bad guys. I'm serious. That's usually the approach there. First time we ever see the Ferengi, they're not the villains. They're not the actual obstacle to be overcome. In fact, if you actually sit back, there are no villains in this episode. There's a misunderstanding, and there's a misunderstanding. Now, that could have worked if they led it in a direction of... You know we are more willing to be magnanimous we are better than them to show how more evolved we are than the ferengi and i'll get more into that in a minute you know so so trying to showcase the difference there and then have the ferengi you know uh, i don't know do something in order to try and continue that plot thread forward rather than what happens on the planet but again from a literary perspective usually when you're doing something like this it's to establish that they're not actually the villains now in a bit of dramatic irony, looking back now, uh God, like 20, actually I think we're going close to 30 years now, ago. 30 years ago, when they first, you know, with the last 30 years that have happened, we can look at this and say, well, that makes perfect sense, because the Ferengi aren't the bad guys. But they didn't intend that at the time, and we know that with pretty definitive certainty. Like We've got many, many, many corroborating uh, elements. All, a whole slew of people all agree the Ferengi were supposed to be the bad guys. I, if anybody, and, and I, I, maybe I'm just my my brain is just stuck in neutrals. I'm trying to understand this. But if anybody has any ideas of why you would introduce an enemy who's supposed to be the enemy, who's supposed to be the bad guys, and introduce them in an enemy mind scenario, please, please share your thoughts. I'd love to hear about this. But I've talked about this enough, so let's talk about the, the Chinese finger trap uh, so data gets stuck in a Chinese finger trap now the parallel is obvious the finger trap is supposed to be a parallel to Sun Tzu which was actually mentioned earlier and that is mentioned down on the planet and is eventually the way in which Riker beats the enemy you know, he defeats the challenge he wins right that's okay I get that um, data, data, gets stuck in a Chinese finger trap. Okay? Now, on the off chance that you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a, it's a piece of, uh, like wood or whatever. I've had these since I was young. And when you pull, when you try to pull your fingers out, the friction of your skin against the skin pulls it more taut, which makes the opening smaller, which makes it harder to pull your finger out. Okay? Now, as a kid, I could still pull my finger out of that. As a kid. Data is a super-strong android. And he's also supposed to be smart. He is the royal smart person of the TNG era. So, um, you're telling me, because this is ridiculous on two separate levels, you're telling me that he couldn't figure out the extremely basic physics of what is a kid's toy, or that he couldn't just, and immediately snap the thing in two. Probably without even meaning to, just, whoop, whoop. Like a, I, I actually expected, when I first saw this, as he started straining, for it to just rip right in half. Because he's Data! And, again, Data's already been emphasized to be strong, even at this point in the series. Now, granted, Data's actual capacities are tossed around a bunch. I already talked about that. But, again, his strength, his physical strength, has already been established. He lifted Wesley up in Encounter at Farpoint, and held him over his head without effort. Boom. So, anyways... Then we hear about the Tacon. Now, forgive me, but something about the Tacon has always been the most fascinating aspect of this story to me. It's something that has tickled my imagination ever since. They're never mentioned again ever, except in a book which is not canon. And I think STO mentions them a couple of times. They haven't really come in yet, though. They went the other direction. I won't spoil anything for anybody who hasn't played it. But the point being... The conquer this ancient empire, 600,000 years ago. Ridiculous amount of time ago. And Data only knows rumors and myths about them. Although, I hate to nitpick, but later on when he's talking to Portal 63, he has a sure lot of information and facts that are pretty concrete for someone who has only mythos, you know, distant myths and, and rumors from something that happened so long ago that it's, actually kind of impossible for human brain to even comprehend. But moving on, moving on. And of course, Picard doesn't know anything about this because why would Picard know any... an experienced archaeologist who, who considered... I'm, I'm sorry, this is canon. Picard almost went into a career as a career archaeologist, and he ended up hedging himself towards Starfleet instead. So, you can't tell me... I've heard the argument that, well, Picard didn't get interested in archaeology until the series went along, but that is contradicted by his own backstory. So, Picard... Picard has never heard of the Takan. And Data has to, whatever. whatever. I've always found it interesting. But what I weir- I'm weirded out by is that a supernova apparently wipes out the Empire. That makes no sense. I- I'm sorry, it doesn't. Like, okay. Let's say that Sol in the Federation goes Nova. Now... First of all, a star going nova, even suddenly, is the kind of thing that... We're talking sudden from an interstellar phenomenon here. So the idea, if Sol actually went nova, if actually went supernova, there's a pretty damn good chance that the Federation would see it coming. And even if it's like, you know, we've got an hour to evacuate, which is already ridiculous. An hour is insane timing there. But even if we go with the absolute worst possible case scenario, in which they have, let's say, about nine minutes, okay... It's assuming the shockwave is propagating at the speed of light and is going to engulf the system and Earth and all that in uh, in nine minutes. They have nine minutes. So you can't tell me they don't have the capacity to warp people in in such an emergency situation. Beam, 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 and warp out faster than the speed of light, sufficient to at least get some people out, Okay. Now, my reason for bringing all that up is because the point is, obviously, there's a lot of people who are going to die, and there's a lot of devastations, that that's going to happen to a lot of infrastructure, and I'm not arguing that. But do you think they could recover from that? Because I do. Vulcan would be fine, first of all. The rest of the core worlds of the Federation, all the ones in short range, all the founding members of the Federation, the ones that come up in Enterprise, they'd be fine. And the Federation is so widespread that there would be a huge amount of infrastructure in terms of space stations and ships and personnel that the Federation would endure. And the Federation isn't some big, massive, conquering empire of doom where people have to petition to join the Empire. Although I guess you could argue that, but let's not get into that, shall we? So the Takan Empire have a supernova in their home system, and that wipes out the Empire. The only possibilities here are that the writers have no idea what a supernova is, which is very possible because that happens again later on. Uh, If I ever do a STO lore, and I'm going to talk about that extensively. Or that they had, they were, these people who were capable of teleporting stars were caught completely off guard by a supernova and had no capacity to recover from it. No additional systems, no other things. They were all solely in their home system which already is contradicted by what's shown here. And yes, I know this was covered in one of the books, and yes, I, I kind of like that book, actually, and its presentation of the events, but it still, still, still makes no damn sense to me that a supernova would wipe out an empire. Moving on. So then Troy senses do, uh, the, the Ferengi. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Hang on. Troy senses stuff from the Ferengi? I remind you that this very episode establishes that they have the, the, the mental blocking thing. In fact, it establishes it from Troy early on. I sense nothing at all over there. And it establishes it from Portal 63 who can't scan them. He can't read their thoughts. The, the great and powerful tacon entity can't either. Consistency, guys. But that whole scene is really bad in general because right before that scene is the second conversation between Picard and Diamond, Daemon, whatever the crap his name is. And that scene is not good. It's, it's, like, it's like whoever wrote the previous scene, which was brilliant and intelligent and a great piece for, for Stuart, suddenly decided to write the exact opposite, or someone else completely different wrote it. Because all of a sudden, Picard screws up multiple times. Like it's almost classic blunt, diplomatic blunder. Constantly escalates the situation. Makes everything worse consistently. Comes across as an idiot. Oh, and while we're at it, the Daimon. Daemon? daemon? God, I keep doing that wrong. The daemon, the Ferengi guy, also it, it comes across as someone who is not interested in trade, despite freely admitting to himself, in his own words, that that's his primary motivation. Okay. So then they go down to the planet. And you know what? I'm a little surprised how decent the planet looks. It's not good but for Season 1 TNG, for the shoestring budget they were on, they actually did a really good job with that, so kudos. So, Jordy upside down, Data, up on a crystal, posing for some reason. I've always assumed that what actually happened was that Portal 63 distributed their their beaming down. That would make sense, right? You know, just split these people up, see how they react, that kind of a thing. The explanation given by the episode proper is that, oh, the information wasn't correct thanks to the energy drain, which is already insane and also kind of suicidally dangerous because these people are damned lucky they did not beam into freaking solid rock. Or worse. But anyways, so that happens. And then they have energy whips. Now, there's no defending the energy whip prop in this episode. It looks terrible. But I actually kind of like the idea of the energy whip. And it's funny, because this is the first Ferengi episode ever, and the next time the energy whips will actually have a presence in the show, not counting that action figure thing, is in the very last Ferengi episode ever, in Enterprise, where uh, they actually used the whip against Archer. And it actually legitimately looks intimidating. And like a genuinely dangerous weapon. And I kinda like that idea. It's something that I kinda wish they had done a little bit more with. You know, it's a nice variety to the usual gun or you know batloth, and that's pretty much what everyone uses as weapons, right? I kinda liked that. But now we have to talk about the Ferengi. Because this is when we get into the Angry Gerbils thing. There's this a really super close-up where they try to pull the gold communicator pin off the thing, and it's <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you can hear me. I'm, I'm hissing kind of quietly, but, you know, they're hissing. They're constantly hissing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, And it's just, oh, my God. What in God's name are you doing? <laughs> and, of course, they're, they're scampering around. There's a scene. It doesn't get really, really, really bad. Like, okay, when they first show up, it's bad. But, like, every minute the Ferengi are on camera on the planet, they get worse. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, every minute they're there, it's like someone turns the dial up on the ridiculous meter. Like, the director was saying, no, 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 more, more, come on, angry, crazed gerbils, come on! Because it's at the absolute worst with basically the last scene of them on the planet, where uh, Portal 63 and Riker are walking along, talking, philosophizing, and the Ferengi are just gibbering around, like, just, just to the outside of the camera, like well, like crazed gerbils. (sighs) And then, they decide to fight the Ferengi. And then Worf, Worf, and Data lose to the Ferengi. No. I, I I can't come up with anything to say about that. That is so goddamn stupid. I mean, it was nice to see Tasha come in and save their asses, but Orf and Data losing to these Gerbils. <sighs> Quick aside, then it cuts up to the Enterprise, and we and it it okay. So th- now this gets even stupider. This is pretty much when the the moment when the episode just starts nose diving in quality. Apparently, they've been down there on that planet for six goddamned hours, okay? Six hours waiting for Portal 63 to, I don't know, finish his soaps or whatever the hell he's doing. And on up on the ship, of course, things are getting worse, as they should. We've actually already seen in TNG before now what happens when a ship loses its environmental controls. People froze to death on a Tchaikovsky because of that, right? So... That's, it's threatening and it's dangerous and it's like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? And there's even some interesting back and forth between Crusher and Picard about this. Although one of them has always struck me as weird because Picard has this line that he says, uh, he he deserves to meet his fate while he's awake or something, you know, meet his death while he's awake. And that's all he says. And I think for years I've misremembered that line because I always said, I always thought Picard said he should meet his death like a man. But that's not what he says. He says he should meet his death awake. He has, you know, it's, he has earned that right. It is Crusher who then says, "Is that a man's perspective?" Which has always made me go. I mean, I shouldn't say always, but now re-watching this with with analysis mode on made me go, "Huh? Where'd that come from? What does that have to do with anything?" Well, <laughs> okay, whatever. So six hours pass. And Data gives his huge speech, and I I have a note here, and forgive me, the note is preach, preach, preach. Because this is when the episode gets really preachy. And this is clearly the moment in which Roddenberry just got up on his box and said, We are better than you. We are better than we were. We are evolved. We are superior. Smug, 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 you know. We, we used to be just like them and, ah, oh, but we are, like, the way the entire scene is structured and written and performed, it's clear that this is the, what is usually referred to as a Mary Sue situation. Except in this case, it's the whole crew. You know, they fly, they, they admit to their misflaws and they're magnanimous and they are humble, but they are, you know, willing to accept that this is what we were and we should not kill them. They might never learn, you know. All of these things that, are not terrible ideas in their core, but the way it's all being presented is clearly smug a head full, you know, and God it just I, I stopped my brain just started shutting down towards the end there and and of course he can't read the Frankie's minds. and he figures out the solution, which is to stand there and not flinch while the attack comes through and and then they just kind of start chatting, and it's like, okay it's, huh the the whole resolution is so weird. It comes out of nowhere. Ah, oh, you are lying. The Tacon Empire is eternal. Blah, blah, blah. He can read minds. This is established. He can literally pull the information of Sun Tzu from Riker's mind. On the spot. This is ignoring the fact that they could also scan the computer's databanks and did so earlier in the episode. Oh, and that's another thing I want to point out. What the hell was Portal 63 doing this whole time? Now, You could say, you could pose the argument, oh, well, he was asleep. No, he frickin' wasn't. He flat out admits on camera that he saw your two ships show up. And, I, you know, at first I considered destroying you both as you were thinking about destroying each other. But then you intrigued me. So it's obvious he's been observing this entire time and has been active at least since the ships showed up, right? So what the hell's he been doing? And again, I bring my back to that six hours thing. The people on the Enterprise and I suppose on the decora as well are on the verge of death. Literally on the verge of death. From freezing and suffocating. Oh, but hang on, let's, let's just let's just watch and see what happens for six hours. So then there's that terrible, terrible scene that I already referenced. Where Riker's, you know, talking with Guy and preaching about how awesome he is. And the Ferengi are, it's, it's, it's visual storytelling, but it gives me a headache. Like, I would even call it good visual storytelling, except it gives me a headache. Because what they're doing is they're showing in addition to telling. Obviously, they're preaching through their dialogue, but they're also literally showcasing the proud, tall Riker next to the peep- the literally hunched over <makes noise> Ferengi on the side, and and again, just watch. The, again, I wish I could lower on this. Just watch the scene towards the end where he's walking with Portal 63. It's one of the last scenes in the episode. It's like the second to last scene in the episode, and he's walking with him, and the Ferengi are just just like it was. It's straight out of Looney Tunes the way they're just just circling around and stra- scrabbling to keep up and trying to keep footing as they're all <makes noise> right next to him. It is visual storytelling. It's showing the difference between the two races. Although that brings us back to my original point. If that's your big villain, then what the hell? And again, this is not something that was done by accident. This is not, I have a good idea for something. Ah, it doesn't work out. This is something that, I have a good idea for something, and here's exactly how I want it to do, and they did it as directed, as intended and it was just a bad idea. And let's just be blunt, the Ferengi, as bad guys, as the big villains, was a bad idea. I think we can all be grateful that they turned them into something worth a damn later on. Quark, DS9, excuse me, excuse me. Nog! And, and, god, there's actually quite a few. You get my point. (laughs) And then, of course, they have the, the finger traps thing again. Because you have to end on that kind of haha note, right? <sighs> I'm sorry. This is nowhere near as bad as episodes as I remember. Again, there was some genuinely good stuff in the intro. But by the end of the episode, I just felt emotionally drained, you know? <laughs> it's okay. As I said, we're over the hump. So whatever next... I, I'm making a point not to look up what's next. I don't know the order of the episode. So whatever's next... It will hopefully be be better than this, and I will be seeing you guys next time.